This is Yad Ramadan, founder of Purifier Days, and you're listening to the Coffee with Kareem podcast. Most users of pornography are men. The, the spouse oftentimes is the wife. It's not always the case. And oftentimes those fantasies become twisted. It becomes about abusing, it's about power. Welcome to another episode of Coffee with Kareem. I am your host, Kareem Sirajuddin. Joining me once again today is brother Ziyad Ramadan, founder of Purify Your Gaze. He had one of the top 10 episodes of Coffee with Kareem. That's episode 9. Check it out when you have the chance. Ziyad, thank you so much for joining me again. Thank you, Kareem. Salaam Wa alaikum salam wa barakatuh. So Purify Your Gaze, for those of us that don't know, is a organization that helps Muslims around the world with unwanted sexual behaviors. And you know, brothers, you had some people have messaged me from hearing uh, episode 9, and I did one um, much later, just kind of talking about emotional intimacy uh, as one of the uh, core reasons why, from my observation, working with our lovely community that this addiction tends to uh, take place. And uh, some people have asked, you know, okay, what, what would be some, you know, quick tips perhaps that we could generally share uh, if you had any to, to offer for those who are in the thick of it right now? Mm-hmm. Get help. Reach out. Reach out to Purify Your Gaze. Um, I think uh, what happens is that we kind of, the mind is like, I'm okay. I can kind of handle this right now by myself. And um, it's really the trick. It's, it's a trick of shaitan, number one. And number two, it's part of the larger pattern. And I've seen this over tens and tens of thousands of people. The, 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 disease, the, the addiction pattern is the same. You know, there is that, you know, I can do this by myself. I, and then the, it becomes worse and worse over time. And I think the greatest thing you can do is breaking the cycle of isolation. And having that a sense of accountability, having someone, and it's not even like, hey, you're doing something wrong, you need to stop, but really having a space where um, that's uh, the hardest thing to overcome is that cycle of shame. Mm-hmm. The shame keeps you trapped and you feel bad as a human being, you feel bad as a Muslim, and that in turn increases the desire to self-medicate and turn to the behaviors once again. So when you have, when you turn and recognize that these behaviors are serving a purpose, even if they are wrong, even if they um, are not the best behaviors, they're serving a purpose, they're meeting some sort of need. And when you have someone there objectively where you can kind of take a look at why am I doing this? What role is it serving in my life? You'll be able to find uh, a better uh, and healthier uh, outlet, inshallah ta'ala, for yourself. So that's my, the, the best recommendation I can give is don't wait until things become drastically bad before Mm. you decide that I need to reach out for help. If you want to uh, get an idea of where things are at on the spectrum of health, uh, we have a quiz on our website. Just go to the Purify Your Gaze website right there on the front page. There should be a button that says take the quiz or something to that effect. And you'll get your score on the spectrum of uh, from unhealth, from from healthy sexuality to unhealthy sexuality, and from there, inshallah, ta'ala, just send us a message, and we're happy to uh, to support. 
Ameen, Ya Rab. Thank you so much for that, Brother Ziad. And inshallah, Brother Ziad and I do have intention to try to do this a little more often and uh, share some more tips and gems uh, for those of us who are in uh, this journey right now. But of course, you know, sign up today at PYG and get that custom support or join our community. And one of that first steps of just feeling that sense of solidarity, that I'm not alone. And as Brother Ziad said, shame is one of the things that keeps us down. And by definition, shame is the fear of belonging, the fear of not belonging, right? It's the fear of I can't really connect or be valued with the, my family, the world, or my spouse, or even myself, or Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So, you know, one of the things that we'll talk about in the future, inshallah, is how to cultivate courage, compassion, and connection in one's life. And I find that these are powerful keys for us to, uh, for us to accomplish uh, in the process of recovery, as well as, um, generally speaking, to optimize in ourselves. So moving to today's topic, Ziad, what I wanted to dive into is half of the people that come to PYG are often married. They have spouses. And the sisters, of course, are dealing with this situation. Sometimes they're aware. Sometimes they aren't aware. Sometimes they catch their husbands. And that's what makes them finally go, okay, enough is enough. I, have, I finally have to, you know, do something about this. It's no longer my little secret. So I, I wanted to talk today a bit more about how, what key things do the sisters who have husbands in recovery um, or who just found out, but they're not necessarily feeling like they want to support them? Maybe we can talk about the two different categories. So let's say the, the wives that know what's happening and they want to you know, help their husband no matter what. Uh, and then there's the wives who know it's happening and they just kind of have this, you know, uh, you're messed up, you're sick and go heal yourself, fix yourself uh, and don't, you know, think that, you know, you're going to touch me or talk to me until that happens. And that, that of course, has its own consequences, which can be detrimental. So I want to unpack those two categories. I want to qualify the kind of the discussion first and foremost. Um, yes, uh, while there is an overwhelming majority, the generalization is that most users of pornography are men. The, the spouse oftentimes is the wife. It's not always the case. There are cases where the scenario is reversed, where the user is also, or the, the, the one who is addicted is, in this case, the, the wife. And it's the opposite, or the, the, um, the unwanted pattern of behavior, or turning um, online for relationships, love, etc., is coming from the wife. So I just kind of want to put that out there because while the overwhelming majority of the, the cases we see at Purify Gates are men, married men reaching out, I do want to make room or space for our sisters who may be struggling, or, or also, since we're talking about spouses, the husbands that um, uh, have a spouse or their spouse is um, the one that's struggling. So if we can keep the conversation, if we can, if we can make room for that possibility in our conversation, that would be, that would be awesome. No, I'm glad you brought that up. And rarely, there probably are cases where both spouses both. are addicted. Exactly. I remember speaking to a couple once about that. They used to, you know, find themselves always needing to have it on while they themselves were being intimate, which is a whole other category. But yeah, let's so let's start with this first category. Either husband or wife are users of pornography or any other type of unwanted sexual behavior. What's the first thing that these spouses need to know if they're on the end of uh, helping uh, their spouse in this journey? So we're, we're, we're speaking to, the sp to someone whose spouse is, um, is using or is addicted. Correct. First and foremost, uh, it's, uh, what I want to say is it's not your fault. 
Um, it's not, and it's not your responsibility to change your spouse's behaviors. From uh, a from an observation, what I've seen is that more often than not, the behavior has started long before the uh, your spouse was even a part of your life. And what happens because sex is so uh, sexual intimacy is such a personal thing. It's something so special you share with your significant other. When someone when that betraying behavior happens, the natural conclusion is that it must be me. It must be something I did, I didn't do. And so the mind races looking for, you know, when, when something like this happens, we, we, we're, we're looking for meaning. We're looking for why, we're ultimately trying to answer, why is this happening to me? What is the, what is the reason for this? Because we're trying to end that pain, that, that, sense, of, uh, that sense of pain or discomfort. So the brain oftentimes comes to the conclusion that I did something or I didn't do something, um, and that's why this is happening. So what the, the most important thing that you can do is not personalize it, not to say that it's my fault. It's not, it's my fault, or um, I, I'm responsible for their behavior. Your spouse, we, we are all going to be tried, we're all going to be uh, held account, uh, we're gonna be held accountable for our own selves. So what your spouse does, doesn't do, we're not responsible for. Uh, and I want to I I kind of let that marinate for, uh, for before, before, getting, before uh, diving into a second step. What, what are your thoughts on okay. that? Okay. Yeah, so I heard you say that the first thing we have to recognize is it's not our fault and it's also not our responsibility uh, in the sense that we shouldn't blame ourselves if our spouse is indulging in this behavior and somehow we think that there must be a cause and since I am the wife or I am the husband I must be the cause but let me challenge that for a second because I know there might be some you know individuals out there who will say well you know what my spouse uh, doesn't take care of themselves they let themselves go um, part of the reason why I do use pornography is because they're not very intimate or involved in their own self-care and beautification mm -hmm. uh, is that just an excuse says uh, yet or is that you know have some legitimacy for some people in your experience so why so I, I would flip the question back and say why is your spouse um, you know it sounds like your spouse is overwhelmed how are you helping? to help her or him to make space to care for themselves where they have the space to entertain or to be open. Um, and if we're, if we're looking at, if we're looking at um, specifically the wives that, um, and we're, we're coming to the generalization, the gender roles of, you know, where the wife is predominantly involved in the house or the, the, the rearing of the children um, and especially young children, what, how are you taking care or how are you stepping up to help at home so that your wife or your spouse has space to care for themselves and to get into that sphere where they feel, quote unquote, sexy to um, to be in that space with you? So I would I would turn that around, um, you know, and that that is a pattern of, you know, it's, I think it's one thing to blame and say that they're not doing enough. And it's another thing to take a look and see hey, that this may be a reason why my, my spouse has let herself or her, himself go, and that is impacting my ability to be attracted to them. Um, so how can I be a part of the solution, right? And, and we, 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 um, we want to always be look, we, we always want to be turning towards each other and looking at how we can 
help one another rather than pointing fingers because it doesn't you're you're in it together so it doesn't solve anything of course if you just point and you point and blame right and this is this is a great example and kind of connects to this idea of let's say sportsmanship teamwork partnership right a marriage is is, is a team and it's a yeah. partnership so when a team loses a game does the coach say it's all you know the guards fault uh, we're talking about basketball in this context right uh, or the or the power forwards fault or Obviously, everybody has a role to play. You can't say, "Oh, I didn't take, I missed all my shots because you didn't pass the ball mm -hmm. in time." You know, we, we, that doesn't go that far. You know, it's all their fault. Uh, is not going to get you far. And rather, like you said, we have to ask ourselves. You know, and I and I sometimes I notice this with certain people, right? It's like they complain about this, and I say, "Okay, well, when you come home, what do you do?" I come, you know, they come home and they do nothing. They just sit and watch TV and think that by 10 p.m. the wife's going to be ready to you know, uh, explore this world of, of, of pleasure and sensuality. It's like, no, get when you come home, pick up all the toys that are on the floor. You know it's there. It's just sitting there. Pick it up. Help with uh, giving the child a bath. Because all those little things will, let's say, get, free your wife up an hour or two hours or your husband at the end of the evening, and you'll actually get more of that quality time. And when you have more of that time for intimacy, you're more likely going to increase in deepening that intimacy. This is the point you're making. Yeah, and the second the second question I would ask is, what was your excuse before you were married? And and uh, you know the the we'll say, oh well, I'm I'm indulging these behaviors because I'm not married yet. So the if we're just looking objectively at the pattern, right? There's always a reason to use, and that's you know there's always a reason to turn to the behavior. Oh, I'm um, I did well, you know, when you um, I, I I did uh, I had a, a hard string of uh, 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 projects at work. I deserve a way to celebrate. I um, um, I'm having a hard time. I deserve a, I deserve a release. I um, my wife is not available or my spouse is not available. I need to do something. Um, I'm not married. I have no other options. I need to do something. So there's always a revolving door of reasons, especially when we're looking at um, and it's not to look at those reasons are um, are bad things. Those are all needs. But what we're calling into question is the way you're responding to those needs, right? And and um, and especially when you have someone else there, how are you meeting their needs so they they can also be in a space where this is something that you share together? You know, just sorry to be crude here, um, you know, your spouse isn't your dumping grounds for your sexual mm -hmm. energy, um, and and uh, you know, so elevate these speaks to something more sensual, more spiritual, more human, um, more sacred. Yeah. More sacred that, that it becomes a shared experience for the both of you. Now it could become a conversation where, um, where you bring up and say, Hey, you know, we're not being close together, but you know, the, again, the, the way you're doing that is not, you're not, you're not assuming um, blame. You're not pointing fingers. You're not shaming. Um, that's a, that's a completely um, separate you know, separate than, you know, what we've, we've discussed, uh, just the past right. few minutes. And it certainly doesn't help if you're already a user and married and this frame of reference that you're downloading into your skull and heart every day of all these hours of content, and you're constantly comparing your wife to, or husband to that, naturally, there's going to be, um, you know, a displeasing state, right? Because you can't, you, there's, yeah. there's just millions of categories you're now comparing this feature with that feature. And also, if you're the type who's been criticizing your spouse about their looks or their body image, that person's not going to be very motivated in doing cartwheels to the gym anyways, 
right? So, so yeah. all of these things that you're suggesting here is about really how do we have more excellence and, and, and beauty and intimacy and humanism in how we relate to each other and how we facilitate these deeper connections. It's not enough to just go, well, I need this and they're not available and I'm waiting. And if they don't do it, then I blame them and I give myself an excuse to uh, fulfill in a damaging way. Yeah, absolutely. And I think one, one thing I would add to this is that while the behavior is a sexual behavior, your motivations to turning to it is not about sex. Mm. So I'll, re- I'll repeat that one more time. You know, so while the behavior is sexual in nature, your motivations for turning to it are not about sex. And when a behavior becomes an addiction, the, that, that motivation changes. So we all have a need to eat. We all have a need for sex. We all have a need. We, we, we have these genuine needs. And um, yes, they need to be fulfilled. But when something becomes an addiction, there is an underlying motivation. There is something deeper than the surface. Psycho, emotional, psycho, spiritual, um, existential in a sense where this becomes your means, your vehicle defining your uh, it's it's your it's how your life is becomes organized. It's um, in a sense a spiritual a maladaptive spiritual vacuum, mm. and and you know um, it becomes a means to finding certainty in your life. It becomes a means instead of, and we say, well, I'm a Muslim. Allah's for that, but if we look at the behavior itself, in a sense, it's kind of competing with Allah Subhanahu wa Taala, where because you're unable to connect you're unable to it's what you what you talked about earlier uh, experience intimacy and we're talking about the emotional intimacy the, the space to feel the space to express yourself this becomes a way to mute and numb and distract yourself from that so at its core there is that that emotional intimacy component that um and many times there are skills there are maybe experiences you had in your life where or beliefs you have around vulnerability, beliefs you have around expressing yourself, negative experiences you had where you felt or you, you arrived at the conclusion that it wasn't safe to be yourself. It wasn't okay to express yourself in that way. So this was how you responded. You clammed up, closed up. And these behaviors become a kind of a safe place for you to let yourself out. But it only corners you and it keeps you trapped. And that's why you feel suffocated. You feel that sense of despair. You feel, um, and it magnifies inability to be vulnerable, the inability to experience intimacy. You may have had feelings or challenges or traumatic experiences that challenged your ability to be yourself, that challenged your ability uh, to be open. And there may be some skills or it may, may not have been modeled for you in your family. So it becomes... So having that space with counseling, having that space where you're working on yourself, whether we call it recovery, whether we call it psycho, psychotherapy, whether we call it just personal development, those fundamental skills are, are necessary for you to have that, uh, that level of intimacy between mm-hmm. yourself and Allah, the level of intimacy between you and your spouse. And when that's, when that's not there, it leaves room for something like an addictive behavior right. to fill that void. And it's, it's trying to fill that void. If we segue to the spouses, it's helpful to have that uh, perspective, to see that all of this is happening 
Um, it doesn't excuse the hurt. It doesn't uh, justify, especially in the context of having a spouse that justifies their behavior and says that the reason that they're doing that is because of you or what you didn't do, and they point fingers. Um, it's it's hard it's hard not to 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 take those things in personally when um, your your spouse has said those things. But that's what's helped. That's the machinery that's beneath the surface of all addictions. Right. And you know, just to give kind of a, a concrete example um, of of an experience that somebody may have gone through. You know, let's say it's not even a major abuse or trauma, but you know. Some families, for example, there's very little vulnerability and intimacy to begin with. So if I grew up in a household where my parents never really expressed intimacy or love or or affection, or there was one parent that what they say goes and everyone else has to shut up and there's no, you know, expression of anything other than this person, you know, this person's way, that's going to now stunt this individual in emotional intelligence and vulnerability and intimacy that you're talking about. And sometimes the husband and wife come from families that are like this. So that cocktail can also increase the likelihood of addictions or escapism. And it may not be, it may be pornography for one person. It could be eating Mm -hmm. for another or television for another, or even, you know, religiosity for another, right? Like I've seen that happen. I just kind of go into this spiritual bypassing of I'm quoting Islam all day, but when it comes to the real work of being vulnerable, taking responsibility, accepting I have flaws, you don't really see that, even though they're quoting Quran and Sunnah all day. So there's a lot of ways that this can manifest and play out. And I think that's important for the audience to know that we're not just talking about very severe backgrounds and developmental traumas here. It could be just what you thought was a typical standard Muslim family, but as you get older, you realize, wow, there's a huge void in me that has never been filled. And till now, I don't know how to fill it, but this has been, you know, my my drug of choice has been serving that cause to an extent yeah and i think if, if what the if we kind of circle back to what we started the conversation about about fault and blame versus responsibility so one of the misconceptions that uh, many people have is that if um if if uh, i experience betrayal specifically sexual or emotional betrayal uh it means mm. it's the end of my marriage right and and it could be. It could be the tipping point where the marriage ends, the relationship ends. It could be. It depends on how egregious of, a, of an offense it is. More often than not, the um, that betrayal, right? There's there. It's the tip of the iceberg. There are issues. There are challenges. There are um, things to be worked on as a couple, and on in both at an individual level. And the goal is not to to solve the problems. The goal is to experience a loving, fulfilling relationship where the both of you can grow spiritually, mentally, psychologically, uh, emotionally, and can become the best versions of yourselves as you traverse together towards your home in the hereafter. So these things that pop up, you know, whether it's betrayal, um, they are traumatic experiences, but it does not mean that it's the end of your relationship. It could be, it's the end of a version of your relationship or a version of reality. And it becomes an opportunity to, in this traumatic experience to, uh, with the, the support of a facilitator, of a counselor to work through this 
together. And it's a decision. You may, you may decide, you know, I don't want to work with this person together. It depends, or I, I don't want to continue that, and I think we should dissolve the relationship. But even in dissolving the relationship, it's something that you have to do. You have, there's, there's a healthy way to work through divorce, right? So um, it's, it's a misconception that many people have that I thought was, uh, that I, that I thought was important. Absolutely. And so if we're in this position where I have a spouse that is using and I want to help them, but I don't know how, what could I do yet? Having someone in your circle. Uh, one, of, one of the things that, um, you know, so we, we want to protect the honor of our spouse, right? But some, there are some challenges in life where we need to confide in someone else. Uh, confide in um, it could be a, um, a, a counselor. It could be a wise person in your family. Someone, again, that can help you get perspective. That's the most, you know, it's the, the whole notion of when, you know, the airplane is, you know, they, they say, you know, put your oxygen mask on first. Right? Before helping those around you, put the oxygen mask on yourself first. And I've seen it time and time and time again. Many of the spouses of the users themselves become, you know, First, that curiosity, what is my spouse looking at? What are they doing? They themselves start looking at porn. And then they themselves in that trauma become addicted to the porn. You know, they, they, it, there's a traumatic link to the porn and they become addicted to the porn. Or they, wow. or they, they themselves start to cope with food, with uh, the, the OCD patterns um, of, you know, is it going to happen to me again and again and again? Most important thing you can do is put the oxygen mask on first. Um, there are support groups today. There are many, there, there are ample and available resources for you. And it's important that you put the oxygen mask on first because if you have a family, right, the uh, addictions are often called a family disease. It doesn't just affect the user, it affects the spouse, it affects the children, especially if you have children in the picture it's going to affect the dynamics of the whole household. And you need someone to, to anchor, the, the, to, to anchor uh, the household so the rest of the household is not lost. And it starts with yourself. So having that, the oxygen mask on for yourself first and having that support so you can take care of yourself, so you can take care of those who are there in front of you and Inshallah ta'ala that you, Allah uses you as a means to guide your spouse back to, to, um, to, to um, you know, his obedience to becoming that, best, that, that better version of themselves. Right. Now, on that point of finding support or a mentor, now, do you recommend trying maybe somebody who's not in the family? Because I know that if I, let's say, speak to my, you know, brother or my older sister or even one of my parents, yeah. now they have this knowledge about my spouse. And maybe one day, you know, in a year, you know, this, my spouse won't be using. Inshallah, if they sign up for PYG, that could be a reality. Yeah. So what what exactly, you know, because then now it's like they've always, now they know that, right? So do you recommend maybe speaking? Speaking to somebody who's not a family member, or let's say if you're a woman, you know, your best friend who lives on the other side of the country and she knows you're married, but she doesn't know your husband directly. Like, would you recommend somebody who's a little more, let's say, sanitized and not so close to home for this purpose? That's that's a great point. And I think um, there's there's two things that we were looking at. So a close family member 
is, uh, can serve as, uh, as a means for intervention, as a means for a family member, someone who's there who can be impartial, right? It's not, it's not about taking sides, but the means, it's, it's about uh, it's enough. someone, if, if you have a spouse, your spouse is not listening to you. Your spouse um, is not uh, taking you seriously. Having someone that kind of strikes some fear, some respect, where they can, um, and it's not by means of threatening, but it's by a means of the intervention is a means of helping them get the support that they need. Mm -hmm. So that's where confiding in a family member would be valuable. Someone who can, who can serve that role and has that wisdom to serve that role. Um, but otherwise, having someone like a counselor, having a therapist, having a coach, someone that can help guide you through that process where you can care for yourself, but then also place those boundaries uh, in your life so they can facilitate or they can enable for your spouse to get that support is also um, is also very valuable. Right. I would also recommend, you know, those of us who are in this position to also research online um, and find what resources um, and advice there are for people who are married to someone in a pornography or sex addiction and use what use the tools there that you feel are easiest for you at first and just you know start with one or two items and take it day by day and inshallah you start getting that wheel rolling because sometimes yet what happens is you know i find out my spouse is an addict um the the addict blames me and now I feel like it's my fault, it's my responsibility, so that re renders me as I am a victim now, not not a villain, but I'm actually a victim of this person's, uh, you know, criti criticism and their addiction. And so sometimes we you, we pull in a family member to kind of arm ourselves with that person to kind of make the other person now feel like they're the villain, right? So this is sometimes mm -hmm. the politics or the emotional dynamic that, you know, takes place when both people aren't really grounded or even, let's say, not as um, developed when it comes to emotional intelligence and intimacy capacity. Absolutely. Not, not everybody um, has that capability, even though they may love you. They may not have that capability or the experience or the tools to be able to serve as that impartial guide now we also have a workshop at purify your gaze uh, specifically around healing from betrayal that's a great resource you can find it on our website and secondly we we will be offering counseling and support for uh, uh for spouses of addicts um in the very near future inshallah so um, definitely reaching out to us at Purify Your Gaze is a great, great step uh, to do that. Inshallah. So, Sidi Ziad, I wanted to maybe break down um, what would be some of the key uh, keys of actual intimacy. So if you were to kind of take a stab at it, what what is intimacy? Some people hear that word and they think sex or they think, oh, it means hugging somebody. What what exactly does intimacy mean? How are you using it today? Mm. It's, a, it's, a, it's a big question. Um, I, I think that the at the heart of intimacy is openness. Um, intimacy is openness. You know, if, we, if, we, if we just look at a, a definition from you know the dictionary, intimacy is about closeness, and it's about two individuals that you know we're looking at the nakedness where you can come in as yourself. You can be fully yourself without bound without those barriers, and someone can see you as you are. And you can see someone as they are. And the ultimate goal with intimacy 
is to give love to that person, love in the form of action for the nourishment and development of the other person. That's, that's the ultimate um, aim of intimacy. It's the shared experience with someone close to you with the intention and purpose of helping that person grow. Right. Excellent. So this actually ties into um, a very important key concept, which is the first step of any change, which is self-knowledge or self-awareness. In other words, accepting, you know, who you really are or what's true for you, even though it might be false, you know, objectively speaking, but at least you have to get your own story straight, even if it's uncomfortable, because that's how you're going to start making change. You have to see that you have a problem or that you desire things that are, you know, pretty disgusting or deviated or whatever you have to first own that in a sense now it doesn't mean that you you say oh that's you know that's who i am no judgment no but it's about i really have to see this for what it truly is and this is something that i hear often from you know people in recovery is they start to notice a shift in their own relationship to the pornography right as they begin recovery they start to you know they they act out along the way but they still see you know, there's a distance between the frequency and the intensity. And even when Mm -hmm. it occurs, it's like they start to feel like, I don't even want this anymore. I don't even feel like it's doing anything for me. So that self-knowledge of recognizing, you know, uh, what I am desiring, and also it's what's going to help you realize what you're not desiring. But bringing it back to this intimacy idea is that a, a quick story. I remember once a gentleman shared with me that, you know, one of, he had kind of this, uh, you know, I'm, you know, a good Muslim repertoire involved in the community. Um, there's this very strong external validation in his life. And so he was ashamed of sharing some of his, you know, bedroom desires with his own wife. There wasn't anything crazy, by the way, right? But because his wife was also, you know, this good Muslim woman and, you know, involved in the community, he felt ashamed that I can't approach my nice, you know, good Muslim wife with these desires. She's going to think I'm crazy or I'm a pervert or there's something wrong with me. How come I want this now? And subhanAllah, just by that part of being intimate or being open and honest, Um, recognizing that this uh, openness will bring him closer. He actually tried that and turned out his wife wasn't shocked or, you know, dismissing at all. She's like, yeah, sure, we can try that. Why not? And then subhanAllah, that significantly reduced his desire and pull to act out because then he realized later that half of the time he was acting out was because he was playing out fantasies that he believed he could never fulfill or voice to his own wife. Is this is this an example of, of intimacy, perhaps? Uh, uh, intimacy is ultimately it's about turning. What you mentioned right there is taking a risk, um, you know, uh, being vulnerable, coming as yourself, and um, and um, and turning towards your loved one, a hundred percent. And and the the even um, there are many there are many people that. Um, stop using pornography, but they have these hangups and these blocks around sex because the, their associations around sex are, um, how, how do we call this? Like, uh, um, there are st- almost stains on their heart from their experiences with pornography. So that there is that shame of, you know, um, fantasizing equals something bad. Again, those associations that we form. But in reality, when we can break the the bonds that pornography has on us from imprinting from beliefs, um, like like this brother experienced, uh, you know, his spouse didn't have any issues, and and ultimately, 
the the fantasies need to be the the crime that happens with pornography is that it's a degrading experience and oftentimes those fantasies become twisted it becomes about abusing it's about power and um it it doesn't nurture the relationship so when when you're expressing there's nothing wrong with expressing your fantasies but also reserve the right for your spouse to not be comfortable especially if this is something new so long as it's within the we're not we're not talking about halal haram here so long as it's within that parameter it's fine but also recognize that give your spouse space as well to to respond and to work through um, work through this together. There might not be any issue at all, but if there is, um, again, have that patience as well. That um, this is something you're cultivating together. It's not. It's not. It's not something. It's not a demand, and you need to do this for me. And and um, it's about. It's about you know cultivating the relationship. Of course, of course. No, that's great because look, not all fantasies are you know created equal, yeah. so to speak, right? <laughs> some fa- some fantasies are really deviated and distorted, and and they should not be in your life, right? And so this is another point here: is I'm not trying to tell people that oh, whatever you've watched in, in pornography for the last ten years, you're allowed to go ask your wife to do it. No, it all you have to be. Of course, uh, we're talking about things that maybe in some cases a person feels that it's a very limiting. Uh, sexual relationship in their marriage and that's kind of now the default menu and so they're afraid to kind of add anything else to the menu right because that's just the way it's always been and i don't want to push my you know edges or whatever and i also feel ashamed that i'm also a porn addict right so why why do i have that right so in this case of course we have to be uh you know use our discretion and wisdom and naturally if your spouse um, is open, then you explore things at a pace that makes both of you feel comfortable and confident and safe. And sometimes a person may not be ready for a certain, you know, item on the menu, but they may be, um, you know, open to, let's say, one of the appetizers. And once they get used to that, they can maybe evolve to different spaces of exploration with, with one spouse. This is the point that you're pr- suggesting. Yeah. And one of, one, of the, one of the exercises I've had couples do is actually taking a break, uh, a 90-day break, from actual uh, genital uh, intercourse. And in that space instead, focus on other forms of intimacy, other forms of physical touch, things, the appetizers that are kind of lost um, because porn gives a very restricted script that you must follow and roles that have to be played. And in turn, you lose out the experience, um, the beauty of, um, of the space. So, um, focusing on touch, focusing on just feeling, you know, uh, you know, many times, uh, people engage in the relations, but they're not there. They're not physically, they're not, they're physically there, but they're not mentally there. They're not present, right? They're not emotionally present. And that's, that's the, the, the joy that comes from this space is fueled by presence. And if you're not there, you're, you're not going to experience, you're going to have that release, but it's going to be an empty experience, and in terms of go, um, it doesn't satisfy me, and I need to I need to look outside. Right. Remember, folks, pornography is an entertainment industry, just like a Hollywood movie. It's going to exaggerate and amplify things for the sake of its purpose of entertainment. And sexual entertainment is no different. It's going to have scripts. It's going to have unrealistic, you know, scenes, etc. So this, of course, we all have to keep in mind. And also that porn and sexual addiction by its nature separates and disconnects. And what Ziad and I are talking about here is intimacy, which is about unification, essentially, right? 
and that connection. And tr sexuality with intimacy is making love. And it's where you experience that, you know, combination, multi-level combination, right? Of it's not just the physical pleasure, it's the emotional, it's the eye contact, it's the spiritual. And those of us who've had that experience, we know there's a difference between that and something more mechanical, right? And so this is a very powerful tool. And I like your suggestion of, you know, practicing different types of non- practicing different types of intimacy besides sexual intercourse um, full force, mm -hmm. right? So these would include things like massage or snuggling or rubbing each other's back or, you know, finally mastering how to kiss each other. You know, some people just don't really know how to kiss well exactly. <laughs> for, for years of being married. So these are the things that, number one, they establish deeper connection, more points of pleasure, just like there's pain points. There's also pleasure points that we have to generate and push in our marriages. And we also can learn and discover um, parts of ourselves that maybe we never knew would ignite that flame for us. Like some people have very interesting um, ways of being turned on, let's say, right? And so if you've never really put your hand over your spouse's body, besides just, I'm going to come do my thing and mm -hmm. walk away, how are you going to discover those other corners or those other, other um, you know, pleasure points that either of you have and can continue to share and give? One of the things with, um, to build on, uh, build on what you said, one of the things that is um, a reality with porn, it's a very, very male-centered or focus on the pleasure of the male. Um, you know, the point of view, quote-unquote, is from the male point of view, the fantasies of, of, a, of a 12, 13-year-old boy um, and, and uh, uh, twisted and, and, and demented. And really what, what it does, it stunts many men from understanding how to pleasure and to meet the sexual needs or understanding the quote-unquote mechanics behind how a woman is aroused. And I'm going to recommend there's a book by uh, the title Come As You Are. Um, it's a great, great, great resource. And it will really help you understand the arousal process for um, from the point of view of a woman. And... Um, I think having this kind of, you know, removes that script that, hey, sex doesn't happen. You see, you know, you see each other, you dive right in. And, you know, there is that warming up process. There is um, there are things that you have to fulfill for that physical, uh, uh, you know, process to open up. Exactly. Exactly. Of course, because, you know, I always tell brothers, look, you have to master how to give your wife an emotional orgasm before you can demand your physical orgasm all the time. Right. And this is kind of what you're and, talking and, about. And, 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 you know, it's, it's not to say that your, your, your wife wants a physical orgasm as well. Right? Of course, of course. <laughs> you know, to, but I meant, yeah, yeah, I yeah. meant that with, that's, that's the most reliable exactly. gate or key. Right. And, and I would also argue it's the same for most men. Right. Who are, alhamdulillah, their heart is, you know, sound. Right. Is that men also, I mean, let's face it, guys, if you're with a gorgeous woman who treats you like garbage and disrespects you, you're not going to have an emotional connection or intimacy. They're always criticizing you. They make you feel like you're you're nothing. And, you know, you're not going to necessarily feel very drawn to want to make uh, sexual relations or make love to that person either, would you? So men, of course, we're human beings and we also don't realize that pornography just like you know going to let's say a particular school or academy or pop culture or film music these things have a level of indoctrination and conditioning i mean let's face it so when we think about this yet pornography actually can indoctrinate us 
with a specific sexual appetite or sexual palate or brand, if you will, of sexuality. Like, oh, this is how it has to be in order for it to be successful Mm -hmm. in a certain way. And that's also one of the big dangers of sexuality. Just like if you watch, you know, 10 hours of TV every day, you're going to become indoctrinated with the values and beliefs and worldview of whatever television you're watching, because that's just how it is. So sexuality, also, we have to recognize that Part of the the uh, prison that we put ourselves in is that we never actually authentically generate our own um, autonomous sexual culture with our spouses if we are indoctrinated and constantly streaming and downloading this stuff into our souls. What are your thoughts? Absolutely. Absolutely. I think, you know, sexy is not following a script, uh, following someone else's script. What is sexy is what comes about that passion, that that um, that, that uh, blank cam- canvas that you and your spouse have to uh, to draw together, to paint together, and what comes out in the moment, right? So, but if you are again in your mind, in your head, following the script, you're not there. You miss out on the uh, I'm looking for a word, the the spontaneity that comes out and turns up the spice, turns up the excitement, you know, things that you may not have even predicted becomes a turn on between you and your spouse. And that's, that's why it's vital. It's vital that you completely eliminate. There's, there's a long period of time where you've eliminated uh, the consumption of pornography and porn is not just going to websites. We're talking about things like Netflix that you know the that you know I was just having a conversation with my with my with my own spouse about this you know it's inescapable today you know the 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 sex scenes that are on Netflix um that has an effect as well on the heart that has you know so um be mindful of what you're listening to what you're what you're um what you're watching what you're consuming these um these are poison arrows of the shaitan as the prophet sallallahu described it and you know when we can have that space, um, that innocence, um, that joy, that passion can develop naturally, and you and your spouse, and even even if there is there is that element of there is that quote unquote, uh, um, re- regardless of what the fantasy is, it's, it's not going to be tainted by something else. It's not going to be tainted by something else. Right. And I think that's a very powerful point is presence is what actually cultivates more passion, more spontaneity, improvisation, if you will, in our lovemaking endeavors. Right. So how are we ever going to have like people say, oh, there's no passion. There's no it's like, okay, well, we have to be present, too. Right. If you're complaining about that, then you have to first start to be present, because if you're not and you're not picking up on signals or vibes or the ebb and flow of your day to day with your spouse, how are you going to break out into one of those, you know, sessions or or passionate sessions, right? Um, So, Mm -hmm. of course, this presence, connection, I mean, the themes keep repeating themselves, subhanAllah. And it's essentially about, you know, bringing it back to the shahada. It's like bearing witness to myself and to reality as it is. I mean, that's like the the center of our deen. And that includes uh, that authenticity and self-knowledge and also relating to another in the same fashion. I mean, this is the, you know, ultimate uh, goal, perhaps, of, of why we should be getting married. Absolutely. And I think it's, it's, you know, that's why it's such a travesty, why it's such a loss when you discover your spouse is betraying you. That's, I mean, you think your, your version of what you, what you experienced reality was, 
is completely turned upside down. And that's why um, that's why it's really devastating. And, and really, I, I feel for the, the families, for the spouses going through um, such a trial, such such a test. Um, so so uh, it's not lost. It's not lost. But, you know, there is work that can if you've never had it um, and your spouse, you and your spouse, well, first your spouse, starting with them is willing to do the work to end this behavior, but then the both of you working together to develop this, to cultivate, it is possible, you know, just because, or if, if you feel that um, you had it, but your spouse didn't, it's not lost forever either. You know, there, there's going to be pain and you may not be, for, for a long time, you're going to be hurt. Right. But, you know, your spouse, through, through, this, through the, the process of counseling, have a role to help in your healing as well absolutely so just as you have a just as you have a me have a role in, with the placing of your boundaries which kind of wakes up or shocks your spouse out of their the the heedlessness of addiction to facing reality to facing and seeing the consequences of their action and coming to terms that they have to change and doing that work there there's going to be a if they're working with a good counselor, um, there's going to come a turning point where the narrative changes from me, 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 which is in terms of the addict. And what many spouses complain about, you know, first I lost my my spouse to their addiction. Now they're lost in their counseling and, and you know, recovery. Uh, uh, support, recovery and support group sessions. They never came back to me, mm-hmm. right? They never came back home, right? So, after this period, we're looking probably at an, an 18-month, you know, the, the entire process is a multi-year process. Um, so if they're working with a good counselor, they're going to turn them back from the, the, self, the self-centered uh, me, 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 me to, okay, you've got to focus on here's, you don't know how to give, you don't know how to meet the needs of your spouse, here's how we can start doing that. Right. No, that's a great point because sometimes the self-absorption and selfishness goes from you know fulfilling the addiction to recovering from the addiction. And you're right, that could leave the spouse still hanging. And I think the other point is that in some cases I've worked with, when a, one spouse is going through the recovery, it actually opened up this whole new reality for the other spouse as well to recognize, wow, like there's stuff I need to work on too. Because for instance, you know, if let's say a spouse was, um, you know, the, let's say that the man is an addict and through the process of recovery, the wife realizes that she's also been very critical of her husband for many years. And that has pushed him deeper into the addiction. Again, it's not about blame, but it's about understanding the sequential or causal variables that are mixed up in this cocktail. And sometimes this alarm bell comes from Allah to help the couple themselves reboot and create perhaps a renaissance of their marriage to come. And this is what, you know, blew the lid on it, basically, right? Is that somebody was an addict or somebody got caught. Yeah. And so th- this is very good advice, yeah, that p- people don't f- lose hope. And remember, you know, and I've witnessed it by Allah. I've seen, you know, a husband who goes through this and uh, the wife, you know, finds out and then she supports. And then through that process, she optimizes and becomes a better version of herself too and starts to address some of her own wounds or past um, pain, I, you know, because yeah. that has, you know, yeah. played a role in where they both are today. So just to quick, just to summarize, uh, Ziad, before you, you head out. Um, so today we learned that 
we should not uh, blame ourselves uh, if we are, you know, we find out that our spouse is addicted or using. It's not your fault, but we do want to understand the variables and the causes um, and maybe even the role that all these different factors have played, including my own. Uh, second is we want to get support, um, a mentor, somebody that we can vent and process and release, preferably somebody not too close to home. But if that's all you've got to work with, then you have to be uh, you know, discretionary about it. Obviously, don't tell your mom or your dad if they already never liked them since the wedding day, right? You got to be selective. Um, three, we, we mentioned that we should... Uh, Check out resources online. Of course, Purify Your Gaze is one that is culturally and religiously sensitive to the Muslim community. So that's a great place to go get some free resources and and, uh, sign up, uh, as well as other websites and support groups. And... I think the, the one of the biggest keys we share today is trying to cultivate and practice intimacy and closeness. And sometimes that just means simple things like being present, um, asking how your spouse is doing. And this is both sides, by the way, you know, whether you're the addict or mm-hmm. the or the supporter of the addict, you know, checking in about people's emotions on a day to day basis. Um, you know, when your spouse uh, is upset, uh, once a brother, you know, who is an addict, you know, his wife left the home because of, you know, this uh, acting out and everything. Every time he acted out, she would go, you know, to her family's home and he would say to me, look, I don't know what to do. And I said, look, all you need to do is reach out to her. It's that simple. Call her. Mm-hmm. Say you're sorry. Say, you know, I, this is really hard for me and I hate to see you like this. It's not you. You know, I'm just weak right now. I'm working on it. And just being vulnerable and having that intimacy gave her comfort. And guess what? She came home. And she actually said, I would love to be intimate with you and we don't have to have sex if you're not ready. So the wife was actually so supportive and patient with him just by him being present. I always tell brothers, I say, look, sometimes all you need to do to heal is be present with yourself and your spouse. That's going to help them get that security and trust again. But they're not going to trust you if you keep avoiding them and they keep pushing you away and you keep thinking, you know, when am I going to finally be able to get rid of this? And you're still living in that disconnect, even though you're in recovery and the other yeah. spouse is kind of waiting for it. So final thoughts, Ziad, before uh, we end today. Final thoughts. Um, yeah, alhamdulillah, we covered a lot. Um, I think I think really the, the core message here is um, regardless of where you find yourself on the spectrum, how bad you think, or it's not you think, how bad you have it, um, there is hope. Um, there, there really is hope. And um, alhamdulillah, like uh, as I started the show, we are in our 10th year of being around as an organization. We've seen all shade and really heartbreak. We've been in we've been in it together with the um the couples, the families, um, the men and women the who, parents. <laughs> parents, yeah, the parents um whose lives have been turned upside down um by um by this addiction. And um regardless of where you find yourself, there is hope and um you know, we know from the, the prophet said, and for every disease, there is a cure. There is a cure. And, um, you know, I love the, I think it's Imam Zaid who says, you know, come to, uh, come as you are to Islam as it is. And our, our, our goal ultimately, we are all, we are all imperfect human beings. And, and um, we need people to, we, we can't get uh, to that uh better version of of ourselves by ourselves. We need people to help guide us along the way. Resources like counseling, um, resources. um, uh, We have so many more resources today than we did 10 years ago. 
the the landscape of understanding has completely changed. We really there are no excuses to reach out for support. So there is hope, but don't stay where you're at and wallow um, or suffer. And this is an opportunity. Everything that you go through is a trial and test. Allah knows that you can handle. And it's an opportunity as sucky as it feels, as painful as it feels, you can get through this, but you have to have that willingness to go through it. And you will get through it by Allah's uh, tawfiq, inshallah ta'ala. And on the other side, there will be bliss. You know, it may, things may not come out exactly as you expected, but they will always be better than you expected. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala never puts us in a situation except that there's something better waiting on, on the other side in this life and the next life. And, and um, so I, I, I'm seeing this from deep conviction, having experienced it, you know, being in the trenches with many couples, parents, individuals, um, I know that it can, it can, it can work for you too. And, um, you know, uh, I, if inshallah ta'ala, you, um, you give us the privilege in um, being a, uh, a means of support to you, you know, we look forward to supporting you on your journey, um, inshallah ta'ala. Jazakallah khair, brother Ziyad. Don't forget that when you do, Allah does. And those who are sincere in heart, um, effort use uh, their body with effort and educate their mind they have a much higher chance of success we have seen it and check out purifyyourgaze.com today to learn more and sign up Ziad thank you so much for joining me Zuzak Marek